This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. You came on the radar for a lot of people with the Leave Loud story you wrote long before this initiative. And can you talk about your experience at Fuller? Yeah, yeah. So I'll talk, I'll talk about that real quick. So um, I started going to Fuller in fall of 2017. And um, whenever I was there, um, this is, so this has come like, you know, on the heels of like, of, of, you know, he who shall not be named becoming president and, and all this other type of stuff. And um, there have been some racial incidents and stuff on Fuller's campus in Pasadena. Now I was an, on, I was an online student. Um, and so I did not have like some of the, those experiences. Um, but I had gotten in with some of the, some of the black students there. And there had been some meetings that um, black students were having with the administration there. So I started out just going just to meddle, like, cause of, this is like, this is something that's affecting black students. And so, you know, we were all invited to, to these meetings. And so I was like, I'm just gonna go here to meddle. Like, let me, let me see what they over here talking about. And so as I'm listening, I'm like, oh my gosh, like some of these people are really, some of these people, some of these students and faculty are like really acting up. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm sitting and I'm looking, like we're talking about the curriculum, like, yeah, yeah, some stuff in, in our curriculum, that's a thing. And so long story short, we had met with the administration a whole bunch. Um, I ended up kind of becoming part of the group. Um, and we, a part of like kind of kind of some of the core um, that was that was doing some of this stuff, some of this activism and stuff on campus. And so, um, you know, we had talked with the, we had talked with, with Fuller, we had talked with the president, we had talked with provost, we had talked with a bunch of people just because we, because there was a lot of concerns about Fuller, about the curriculum, about the campus culture, about just a lot of different things. And we kept on getting the, okay, well, you know, we feel so bad and well, we want to address it and whatever, but then the no substantive change. So in 2018, in um, the summer of 2018, uh, some students on campus staged a protest at our baccalaureate. Simultaneously, um, I helped organize an online protest um, using the hashtag Seminary While Black, um, hashtag Toxic Fuller, and hashtag uh, Black Exodus, where we were just unpacking some of the issues at Fuller. Um, so we had we had Black faculty that had that had left. We had Black workers that that had left. People people who were who were faculty and staff. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, Fuller was was failing to to hire. And uh, African American people, and specifically Black women, and that semester we actually, or that quarter, we had actually lost the last um, Black woman professor, who was a New Testament uh, professor, Love Seacrest. Um, she she had she had left, and so there's and so a lot of it, there was a lot of just racial stuff and stuff going on behind behind the scenes, and so um, for me, the way that that affected me was particularly through the curriculum, and so and during seminary while Black, I just um, I started uh, tweeting pictures of my systematic theology textbook because I was in um, I, I did my first two quarters. I had taken um, some systematic theology classes. I'm like, wow, this stuff is really super colonized. OK. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so a lot of a lot of my experience with, at Fuller was dealing with 
curriculum that was colonized and having to find a way to give myself a black centered education. And there were often times um, where I was writing papers on things that my professors had never heard of before or hadn't um, or hadn't really interacted with like womanist scholarship or whatever. Um, thankfully, um, they could see the the professors that I had. I had I got the God just really blessed me with some really good professors who could see my scholarship, who could see the level of my scholarship. And so it did not affect me in terms of my grade, but I definitely thought I had to work like, you know, five times as hard as everybody um, else on everything. Were there examples that you can give us of like the colonized theology that you were learning? Um, so th- I'll just, so just to not, it, to spare you another long story, um, an example of this from my systematic theology textbook, James Cone and, um, Johann Sebastian Bach are mentioned on the same number of pages, three pages. Hmm. 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 Wow. No woman is scholars. James Cone, in fact, I think it was the only black theologian mentioned only black American. Now they, now there were a few African scholars, um, that were mentioned in the systematic theology text. Yeah. It's like you check the James Cone box and you've done black theology and black liberation right. theology. Like yes. That's it. Yes, exactly. Now around this time, you know, and you've been teasing this, so I think it's, it's good for us to get to it. You're also in a journey with the church that you originally left. And so, what was happening there? Why did you go back? And then what happened when you went back? So, yeah. So um, the short part of the front end of this story is we had been in Virginia for about five years. Um, and I, through just a series of events, I had gotten a job as a youth pastor in another church. And so I was at that church. Um, but before, so it took a, it took a few years because I got, or not a few years, my goodness, a few months. Um, so I'd gotten the job in March of 2016. Um, but it took some time to, um, to get, uh, for, for my, for my husband to get it, to get a new job. Um, he works remotely now, so we don't have to worry about that anymore, thankfully. Um, but for him to get a new job, it just took some time, um, for us to be able to, to get our stuff together, to be able to move. And I think that, that there was also a youth pastor that was, um, that was going to finish out their tenure, um, before, before I came. So we decided, um, on June of 2016 to, to move back to Missouri. So I gotten pregnant with my, um, second child in the meantime of that. So I, whenever I get pregnant, I get extremely sick. And so I had been extremely sick for most of my time there actually. And then, you know, I um, knew that I was going to have a baby. And so then in the midst of all this, I felt the call to go to seminary. And so we were, so we were at this other church. And so I, I had, um, I had ended up resigning, um, in December, um, cause I, cause I wanted to give them notice that like, you know, basically like to be able to find somebody. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to resign cause I'm, I'm going to seminary. I'm going to seminary next fall. And so I didn't know if they were going to ask me to finish out the school year or not, but they did ask me to go ahead and finish out the school year. So I was like, okay, cool. I can, I can, I can do that. You know, that's the least I could do. Um, but I didn't want to sit and try to resign over the summer and have to, and have to deal with all that with going to school. And so um, after I finished my tenure at this um, other small little church, which are stories that I could tell that I won't tell um, at this at this point. Um, but I after I finished my tenure at that church, we had decided to go back to our home church. And actually, before we had even moved to Virginia, or before we had even moved back uh, to Missouri from Virginia, 
we, I had contacted um, my former pastor and was like, Hey, yeah, we're moving back. Um, but we're not going to be coming um, to, we're, we're not going to be coming to the church. And so you explained, explained why. And so he was like, Oh, you know that, okay, that's, you know, that's, that's great. I under, I completely understand. Um, you just know, like if anything changes, you know, the doors open, whatever. So right after I had resigned, um, I decided, I, I felt prompted to meet with the, with the, the pastor of, of the church. I'll just go ahead and say the name of the church. The name of the church is Cra- the Courageous Church in Springfield, Missouri. So that way I can stop saying the church, the church, the church. We, Courageous uh, was opening their South Campus at, a, at around that time. And um, I'd asked to meet with the pastor because I just, because there was just something that was just like, you know, sub- there's, there's been a lot you know, that's happened over the course of the last time since I had attended that church. And so um, they had become courageous, had become the most diverse church in Springfield. There were a lot of uh, black people who were who were on staff at the church. Um, there were a lot of black people who were black and brown folks who were highly visible in the church. And so, um, but also at this point too, you know, I, I had also become very outspoken and stuff about race. So I just wanted to meet with him. With, I wanted my husband and I to meet with, with him um, just to take the temperature and just to, just to make sure, because I knew, because I mean, my social media presence, everything, I just wanted to make sure that it was going to be a fit. And so um, he gave us a tour of the, we met down at the South campus. He gave us a tour of the South campus and um they were, they were just putting some of the finished touches, finishing touches on it before they opened. So everything was going great. And so then we sat down and we, and we really kind of started to talk brass tacks a little bit. But part of the conversation that kind of left me feeling some type of way was um, he brought up that, and it was like one of those things that's like, you know, well, well, somebody has said like, I'm not whatever, but he was like, you know, somebody had said that I, I heard that you had said that you were an activist. And so he kind of brought it up mm. in like this way that, that he was concerned. And so I was like, yeah. And so he was like, um, so basically he was like, well, you know, like, I, like, you know, it's been a powder keg around here, like with the, with the election and with, and with Ferguson and everything, like we just, it's it's been, it's been a powder keg and we're just, and we're just, you know, basically like what what he's telling me is that with that, they become the most diverse church in the city. He doesn't want to lose that diversity. There's been a lot of tension in the church because they're, they're Mm. diverse, but they're, they're they're diverse. There's, there's people, there's black and brown folks there and there's white people there and there's, you know, conservative and liberal and whatever. And so, and so all of that has caused tension. And so, in me coming back to the church, he was worried that somehow, I don't know, somehow I would agitate and like cause that tension to explode. And so he said mm-hmm. he had made the statement of, of not pushing him before, before, you know, he was ready and whatever and all this other type of stuff. And so, I mean, you know, I, I you know, he, he characterized, I mean, I am an, an, I am an outspoken person and I, and I think Jamar, Jamar you know, hit the nail on the, on the head at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the show. Um, but also like, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't put up with nonsense, but I also know how, I also know how to act like I have some sense, like in, and especially in a church setting, I, I, I get it. I've been around the block a lot. I get it. You know, you, you don't want to just like, you know, jump out and say, do anything that could, that could, that could cause, that could do harm to people. I, mm-hmm, I get mm-hmm. that. And I'm, and like, I'm just like, you know, I'm not trying to blow your spot up, but, it, but just the way that it all kind of came out is it really kind of had me feeling some type of way. Right. And so I was even because, and because when was this? I'm I'm sorry. When was this? What? what so this would this? have been. This would have been. Um, it, I was still pregnant with my with my youngest. Um, I was very pregnant at that point. So it was. Um, 
at the end of 2016. So like okay, the election, so right, had after just the election. Okay. right after the election, um, right. It was in December. So it was right after the election, right before, right before the inauguration. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah. So um, I was just kind of like, okay. And um, I just, I just really was feeling some type of way. Right. And I, that there was just a lot about that conversation that just, I was like, man, like it, it, there's just a lot about it. I, I don't, I, I can't even really get into it, but I was just like, okay, you know what? And so I was praying. I was like, you should, could, should we even go back there? Like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want, like, I'm not trying to blow anybody's spot up. Right. Like I don't want to cause trouble and I don't want to be treated like I'm a troublemaker. And so you had prayed about it for months and months and months and months. And so finally my, my time um, at, at the church that I was at, um, was, was drawing to a close. And so I was just like, okay, you know what? I, I, I told my husband, I was just like, okay, you know, I think we should just go and we'll just see how it is. And if I feel some type of way about it, then, you know, we do like, like, and really I was just, I was just like, you know, if we feel some type of way, way about it. Like, I hate this. Cause this is like really, really sentimental to me. Um, to be back in that place because, you know, it, it, because that I, I loved, I loved that church. I loved those people. And so it was like, I didn't, I didn't want to, at the time it was like not wanting to go back and again, not wanting to blow their spot up, not wanting to cause any type of trouble. But at the same time, it's like, I knew that, that I was different than what I was um, whenever I first started going there mm-hmm. as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I'm not trying to blow your spot up, but at the same time, it's like, I don't want to be treated like an issue. And I mean that in, 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 two senses the sense of being treated like an issue like i'm going to make problems being treated like an issue like a problem but also an issue in terms of like the issue of racism like i don't want to be like the person that's like the race person or whatever like this is my this is my place of worship i just want to be here and i just want to exist and yeah call the nonsense as i see it um whatever like that's that's all i'm trying to do so we we went back and um we 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 started going And there were aspects of it that I was, I was really glad to be back there. And there were a whole lot of people there. The church had, had grown way above and beyond what it was whenever we were there. They were doing, they were doing a lot of great things there. It was, it was very diverse. Um, It was great to see a lot of people there who looked like me when knowing that I was the only one back in the day, the only one on staff and knowing some of the history of people leaving the church because I had been hired and, and all that type of stuff. It was, it was so great to see that. And it was definitely um, emotional being there. Um, and I, and I was really, you know, looking for like, I like, you know, okay, cool. We're here. We're back. It's going to be great. Like I'm, I'm going to seminary. Like it's going to, it's going to be good. It's going to be lit fam. And so, um, you know, as I'm getting into seminary, like I can't, you know, really be terribly involved in church because I, because I've got school work and stuff to do. Um, but I decided that I would be, um, part of this thing called growth track, um, that was, that essentially is like a, a four, a three week program mm-hmm. that people come into the church. We tell them about the church, um, tell them about the church's visit, vision, uh, give them a te- give them like spiritual gifts assessments and that type of thing, and then help place them in a, in a volunteer ministry within the church. And so, um, I did the final part of that ministry, that the final part of the growth track where, where I helped, um, administer the tests and stuff like that. It was, it was really great. I really, really, really loved it. Um, it, it was something that I could, that I could do and still feel like I was serving, um, so like I was serving the church, but it didn't require like a lot of extra, um, of me, of me as a student. And so I was really, really, really enjoying it. And then, um, 
in my second year of school. So right around the same time that the um, Seminary Well Black stuff is happening, like a few months before that, actually a few months before that, like in, in probably about April, and God was just sort of like, because I was thinking about starting my, my internship and stuff for my, for my program and, and for my, for my MDiv program, um, you have to do you, in your second year, you do an internship and it, they call it an apprenticeship, but it's an internship at another, at, at, at some place, mm-hmm. um, a ministry internship. And so I was starting to think about that. And so I remember, um, I was sitting on my porch one day and God was like, um, you need to step down from growth track. And I was like, Hmm. Okay, okay, Lord, but well, like I need to step down from growth track. And so he's just like, you know, you're, you're, um, like, like he, I just, I just, I just really sense that, okay, like it's because of my, of my apprenticeship that's going to be coming up. I need to start, I need to start seriously looking into some place so I can have some place by the fall. And so that could potentially, um, that could potentially end up me having to travel and do some different things. And so I was just like, okay, I'm going I'm to step down. So I stepped down. And so my, my step down, um, would be effective, um, at the end of May. So like the, the May growth track would be my last growth track. So, um, about a month later, I'll never forget it. It was the same day that Prince Harry and Megan got married. It was also the same day that I got my first paycheck as a writer. Mm. Um, I had, uh, it was, I've been something I've been praying about for a very long time. Um, about being paid for my writing. And so um, there was an outlet that had asked me to write a piece for them. And so I did. And so I remember um, I watched the, wed- the Royal Wedding had um, was upstairs in my, in my study. And um, literally my husband comes upstairs and hands me my paycheck and my phone goes off. And I look and it is the person texting me as someone who I worked with um, hmm. in growth track. And, um, she was one of the, one of the leaders of growth track, not like the main person, not the main person, like the staff person that was in charge of it, but somebody else, um, who was leading it, who was, who was there the night before, like somebody had said something on Facebook. And so I just had mentioned they, somebody had said something that was kind of, uh, kind of problematic. And so I had said something to the person about it. So then she had gotten into this conversation with me about stuff. And I had said something about, I had said something to someone in the conversation about, well, you know, you're white, so you don't maybe have this experience or whatever. So this person, this leader who was texting me, um, took exception to the fact that, and so I, I'd asked like, you know, what, what did I say? That was whatever. Like I, I asked her in the thing, in the, in the comment thread, what did I like, like, what did I say? That was, that was offensive. Why, why are you whatever? And so she messaged me. And so basically it was just a whole like white fragility thing. And mm. I was just, and, and so this is somebody that like, I knew that I'd known for years that I loved and they were, t- and, and she was telling me like, you know, your rhetoric is harsh. Um, your, your, your words are biting and cutting and like all these other types of things. And so like, this is my friend, right? This is somebody who I think is my friend. So I'm mm. like, oh, you're telling me this. And like, you're telling me that my slip is showing. Right. And so I'm, so I'm like asking her questions like, okay, you know, can you, well, can you tell me more about this? And she's coming up with all this stuff and it's, and it's white fragility. So like, I'm explaining to her why I said this because of whatever. And so it was just like this back and forth. And so I was just, I was really, really hurt by the conversation. And I, there was just an aspect of it where I just really kind of felt, I, I really felt at the time I felt really bad because I was like, okay, you know, I, I did not mean to offend her. Um, but well, but yeah. I said, but at the same time, it was like, I said what I said. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, and so I was just like, I said, I said what I said. And so, and I stand by what I said. 
And so it was one of those types of incidents. So all that, so I say all that to say that then all that started to kind of come to head a little bit. And so I was happy. So I realized now that God was telling me, you know, pay back out of that. And so it was also for my apprenticeship because I ended up in my internship um, a couple of weeks after that had, after that had happened, I had had encountered um, this really great woman who was a pastor who was planning a church in Springfield. And so um, I got to do my internship at, at her church and it was great. It was a wonderful time that, yeah, there was some other stuff that that happened, but that racial stuff that happened. Um, But like, it wasn't, it, it was it was a great experience and she was a great leader and really protected me and covered me and stuff within this. But that incident, it it really, really hurt. And I didn't really know how to deal with it. And so I was very thankful for the reprieve. So fast forward a year, about a year later, um, I said something somewhere on social media and the same person who had texted me on, on Harry and Megan's wedding day text me again. And it's the same type of thing. And so this time she's telling me, so over a year, like she's never, she hadn't said anything to me in that whole year, but over a year, she decided that she was going to disconnect from me on Facebook because basically like I was this, I'm I'm causing more division and like all this, all these tropes Mm. or whatever. And so at this point, so, you know, a year ago, you know, I'm, I'm part of the ministry and stuff at this church. Now, whenever I did my internship, something that, that I didn't include is that, even though I, me, Allie, did my internship at this other church in Springfield, my family still worshiped at Courageous. Hmm. And I, because because we wanted to stay in fellowship with them. And so, and I made that clear, like to some of the, to some of the leadership, like, like, no, this is, this is our church. Like I'm going to do this for school, but like, this is our church. And so like my family still worshiped there every week and we still paid our tithes there. And like, I was there like every couple of weeks. Like I didn't, I could not regularly attend on Sundays, but they had multiple services. So whenever service times hit to where I could, I would, I would drive like, you know, the, the, the five, 10 minutes, um, to our campus and worship with at the church. Like I would just, I would come in and you, know, I, I would come in or like I would come in and listen to, and listen to the sermon. Um, Sometimes I would be late and listen to the sermons. I was always there. Um, we had we had a Wednesday, a, a monthly Wednesday night worship thing. I was always at that, and so we were still part of courageous. Like that was like that was still that was still our church. We we still considered it our church. But I was but I was working at the connecting grounds at this at this other church, and so um, you know I was considering because they, they were con- they were considering hiring me, and I was maybe considering um, going on staff. But I was but I really wanted to pray about that decision because because my loyalty was to courageous. So a year later, this, this woman texts me and says all this stuff. And so I realized, so there's a lot of other stuff that had happened, um, even in the time that I was there that I won't go to go into, but I realized like, you know what? I want to know how they handle this type of situation. Cause at this point it feels, cause she said some things to me that really, it felt like bullying. And so it felt like racial bullying. Like she wasn't, she wasn't being racist in the sense of she was saying anything about my race bullying, but it was bullying in the sense of I'm speaking out about racism and you're mad about it. And you're, and you're telling me that, that like, you're basically, she was being very territorial, like saying that because there was some other person in the church that she was gossiping about me with who 
they said that they didn't even, you know, feel good about going to the North Campus if that was, um, if that was the type of mentality of mm. the people up there. Mm. And so she was holding me responsible. She took the sense wow. of, of ownership of holding me responsible of keeping people from 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 out out of her church. And so she felt like it was her duty to talk to me and to tell me that what I was doing was wrong. And so I'm just sitting here like, I'm not okay with this. And so, and so she was kind of, so she's a leader. So I'm just, so I'm just like, okay, you know what, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to talk with some of the leaders at this church because I don't have to come back here. I'm perfectly happy at my internship site. Like I know that, I mean, they already said, like, if you, if you want to stay after your internship is over, like you can be here. We like, we love you, whatever. So I'm like, you know, I like my family does not have to continue worshiping here. If this is the type of thing that's going to happen whenever people speak out about racism, like I, like I need to know what kind of support there there's going to be. And so I sat down with a campus pastor. Um, he's black, black man. Um, I, cause I think I had directly contacted him um, first. I can't remember who I had contacted, but anyway, I sat down with him and I was just like, look, this is what happened, told them what happened, whatever. And so they were just completely at a loss for what happened. So I was in a couple of different meetings with, with some leaders in the church. And so they were, so over the course of these meetings, you know, they express like, okay, we, we see that, you know, you have a talent and, you, and a passion for this. You know, we want people at our church. We want, we want people to, to serve according to their passions. What would you like to do? Um, what, like, like, is there, is there a way that you could serve in the church? You know, the only thing is, is that this, that pastor Tyler just wants to know if, if you're, if you're on his team, like, like, hold up. Like, so this was, this man's name was Tyler. Oh, this man's Tyler's <laughs> also, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Not, not, like, oh, Lord. Oh, no, not, 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 no, what, it, what, it wasn't Tyler Burns. It's some, somebody else. Somebody so he else. said, you, we want to know if you're on his team. Basically, like, know that. like, basically like, yeah, he wants to know that like, that like, you know, that, that, that I'm on his team, that I'm going to be here, that I'm going to be here, that I'm, that I'm, that, you know, I'm going to be on his team. And so I'm just like, I was like, I mean, yeah, like, I, like, I love this church, you know, absolutely. But here's the thing is like, is like, you know, yeah, I'm here to serve. I understand that things, that things aren't going to be perfect, whatever. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve, but my, I'm gone whenever y'all start serving white fragility more than you start caring about, about black people's dignity and safety. Then, then, mm. then that, that's the, that's the point at which I'm out, but no, like, I, like I'm here. I'm a, I'm a team player fam. Like, no, it's it, like, it's, oh, it's okay. You don't like, like, I'm not like, I'm not here again, I'm not here to blow your spot up, but like the way that you're wanting to handle the situation isn't the way that this situation needs to be handled. Like, mm. you know, they're like, well, mm. maybe y'all could sit down, whatever. I was like, no, I'm not sitting down with her. She just be, she she behaved in a way that feels really abusive to me. Would you ask would you ask somebody whose spouse had abused them? Would you ask them to sit down and to hold hands and to make nice? No, you would tell that per, you would tell the person who did the thing to go get counseling first. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit.
in my situation, she needs, it's like, I don't, there, there's nothing that's, that can come from sitting down with her. She, she, let's use this as a teachable moment for the fact that your leadership, your staff, your people who you are, who you are employing to be, to be volunteer leaders and stuff, they need training on racism. They need anti-racist training. They need to understand some of these issues. And so anyway, they're like, well, you know, we're going to be doing a seminar in August and so called Facing Racism and whatever. Maybe you could be a part of that, blah, 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 blah. So hold on to that for a minute because that because that's going to come back up here in a moment. So I'm like, OK, cool. I can. Yeah. OK, uh, cool. I'm back. So I started um, I finished up my time at at the at my internships at my internship site and um I was leading a small group on um, I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown, that there was black women and white women in the group. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's the final week of it. My family went on vacation. And so on my way back uh, to Springfield, um, I had seen something. Somebody had posted something on Facebook. Um, it was like a Sunday morning. And like I had seen somebody post some sort of apology for, for saying something, um, for, for, for doing something that they were really embarrassed about. And so just knowing who the person was, I was like, oh my gosh, she probably accidentally like shared something that like had somebody's booty on it or something. And, you know, she's just very prim and proper. Mm-hmm. Like she probably shared something that has like somebody's butt on it and she didn't realize or whatever. And so I was like, oh, you know, it's all good. I, Cause I hadn't seen what she had shared, but I just was like, oh yeah, like it, it probably wasn't nothing. Um, it was probably something she was just really embarrassed about and whatever. So on my way back home, I uh, get a text from from um, one of my friends and they're like, did you see like what happened? I'm like, what? So I asked somebody else, like I was like, okay, because even as the conversation is going on in this thread, I realized like, oh my gosh, it, it wasn't like somebody's butt showing. Is this something racial? And so I had mm-hmm. sent a text message out to another, to, to somebody else and was like, hey, what is so-and-so post? And so it was a black girl. And so she was like, okay, Allie, listen. I'm going to send this to you, but like, this is probably the worst thing that I've seen in my life. And I want you to know that before, before I send it to you and before you watch it. So I'm watching it and it's the Hodge twins talking about reparations and oh boy, it is vile. I, I, I have watched a lot of racist things in my life and to see people who look similar to me saying some of the things that they were saying, mm-hmm. it was highly triggering. It was highly whatever. I was like, so this person who posted it, I was like, Oh my God, they posted this. So long story short, there's all this, you know, going all around the Maypole about, about she, she went on this apology tour. We could never get a straight answer from her. Why she posted this thing. Meanwhile, there's a group of black women in the church who we are just really like hurt by this. I hadn't seen it, but I had known, but the person that I, that that posted this, I hadn't seen it, but I had known this woman for like 15 years um, because she was part of the church whenever I was first part of the church and she had been there for forever. So I had known this woman for 15 years and we had interacted and and everything um, for, for, for 15 years. And so she was somebody, she was somebody that, that I looked up to. I mean, in fact, there was a point where I was dealing with something in my life that I was like, Oh, I need to go to her and ask for advice. And I, and I went to her and asked for advice. Um, Like it was just, it was just, it was shocking. And so push comes to shove. Somehow we all end up in a meeting um, with the pastor of this church. And so he was just like wanting to know, you know, what, what, what had happened. And so, you know, he'd seen the video. And so he just was, was trying to 
provide a space for people to kind of, okay, to figure out what he needed to do because he didn't know like what to do, I don't think. And so as we're talking, like people are revealing, like this is a deep problem at this church. Hmm. Like it's maybe Hmm. not this type of thing exactly that's happening every single week, but there are a lot of people here who say and do a lot of stuff that is really offensive. And so in the meeting, there was just, there was, he got kind of defensive. There was some fragility and stuff that came out and it was whatever. So he said that, you know, he was going to talk to the person who, who posted the video and try to figure stuff out. So a month passes and one of my, and so we're kind of like, so we had like a whole you know, thing, like where we, we were talking about it. Like we were just really, it was just really difficult for all of us. It was really difficult for the ones who were impacted by it, who knew what had happened. It was really difficult. And so, um, and so I will say that it was, I think, even more difficult for some of the people who had been there since the church had changed and had mm-hmm. been there um, since whatever. And, you know, they, they all kind of had um, their, their own kind of web of relationships and stuff. And so a month passes and we hadn't heard anything about it. And so um, one of the women went to the pastor and was like, you know, hey, can we have a follow-up meeting on this issue? Like, we, we haven't heard anything about it. And so we had this follow-up meeting. And in this follow-up meeting, um, we asked, okay, well, you know, what about this person? And so he was just kind of like, yeah, I talked to her. And, you know, she's, she was really apologetic. And so it kind of was just sort of like, okay, I don't really know what to do about it at this point. And so we were like, well, okay, so what are we going to do about racism? What are we going to do about the issue of race within this church as a whole? And so, um, you know, of course, again, I want to want to posit here that, again, this is the most diverse church in the city, but they have done zero. They had at that point had done Mm -hmm. zero race work. Mm -hmm. None. Like there it was something you there there'd be sermons here and there that would talk about how racism isn't isn't appropriate and isn't welcome here but it was always but, but often it was framed as you know sometimes both sidesism and like you know we reject white supremacy or any kind of supremacy and like what just so kind of stuff that was mm-hmm. that like was hard hitting for some people i know um and so you know there's you know, so there's just you know, these statements made like he, like he made the statement to us in one of the meetings about how you know he's moving too fast for some people and too slow for the others and it's just like okay but but what about the people who feel marginalized and here like mm-hmm. the people who are in privilege yeah of course it's always going to be too fast for them like just so so all this kind of just you know white moderate stuff and and um and so they so they had you know built the most diverse church in the city but had done so with a lot of kind of mealy mouth stuff a- around around race i think that that what felt to them to be bold stances and maybe were bold stances at the time and i can't and, and i i cannot speak personally to the things that I that I saw that that happened during Ferguson, but I can certainly speak to to stuff um, since Charlottesville. I wasn't there. The Lord spared me from being there during the election. Um, I know that that was just kind of what the, the, the general consensus among a lot of the Black folks there was that there were that there were good steps that were taken, but in general, it was the, it was overall kind of weak and. Um, there, there wasn't any like real work behind it. It was kind of just the pastor kind of making proclamations about things, but nothing really being worked on behind the scenes. And so um, we were just kind of like, you know, this is, this is still a pervasive issue within, within this church. So what are you going to do? And so in particular, one of my friends um, asked, she was like, you know, can you, can you just share your vision for race with us? Just, uh, just a little bit. So then that's when stuff went to the left. Hmm. 
So he starts. So that, that's when it. That's when it really started to go to the left. And this is progressively after a few meetings, or is this? This is this is this is in one meeting. This is all okay. in one meeting. This is this is all in the second meeting. So we're we're sitting there, um, and he's and so we're trying to you know, get him to to talk about talk about race and and what kind of what his vision and stuff is. And so you know he's like. My friend asked kind of what his vision is. And so he says, I don't remember what he says, but he basically he starts talking about how he needs to know that that we're all with him. And so he turns to me and says something to me about, um, you know, how like I hadn't been there in a year. And so I was like, I haven't been here because I was doing something that was required of me for school mm-hmm. and my family still attended here every week and I was here most weeks. But, um, so he, so I'm just, so I reminded him, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I was in my ministry internship for school, for seminary. So, but, but like I'm, I'm here now and I've, and I've, and I've been here all along. Right. Okay. And so he's like, um, so then there was a, there was another point where he, well, there was another point where he, um, was like, there was another point where he was saying, um, something about how, you know, he wanted some, somehow, I don't know. Cause, cause he kind of went back and forth to different people. So I'm just talking about like stuff that they said to me first. So he had said something to me about like how, you know, he would really, you know, like to be able to platform me, but my social media presence or whatever. And so I stopped him and I was like, mm. hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was like, I was like, wait, hold on a second. I was like, you know, I never said anything about being on your platform. I don't ever have to be on your platform. I can work behind the scenes and I am perfectly happy working behind the scenes. Now, I want to pause the story for a moment and to say this, and I don't mean for this to sound braggadocious at all. But at this point, um, I was two thirds of the way through my MDiv, mm-hmm. um, my calendar at the at this point is full of people who are wanting me to speak on race for them and pay me to do so. Um, my inbox at this point had people in it requesting my time to come and to speak on race and to come and to teach their organization or speak at their church or whatever about race. At this point, I probably had maybe upward of 30,000 followers on, on Facebook and um, thousands on Instagram and Twitter. Now, I'm not saying that that's clout, that's whatever. I'm, I'm just saying that this is what it is. Combing the Roots that spring had, had charted in the top 10 on iTunes. So I'm not saying that again to brag on myself. I'm saying that to put in the context that I'm sitting here, a sought after speaker. On, on racial justice and healing and speaking to organizations and different things. And that's a resource. And, and on top of that, I am getting my master of divinity and my emphasis in my master of divinity is race, cultural identity, and reconciliation. So not only am I just out here talking, but I'm talking according to knowledge. And I had been part of that church that 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 had been my church home for 15 years. I, I had skin. In, I had a lot. There's a lot of stuff I'm not even talking about that. I had a lot of skin in the game. There was a, I left a lot of blood on that dance floor. And so I'm sitting here and you're going to be like, oh, OK, so you I can't put you on the platform. Like, I, like I'm seeking a platform. 
Hmm. Forget a platform. I'm not like, I'm not here. I am willing to give you the knowledge and resources and everything that I have that other people pay me, mind you, for. Hmm. I'm going to give all that to you for free because I love you and care about this organization. So anyway, so I just needed to pause the story for that for a moment. But anyway, so it's kind of like, I I just needed to pause to put that, to put that in context. And so, and, and these are things that he's, that he's well aware of by the way. Um, so that, that I'm assuming that he was well aware of, I should say, I don't know what he was actually aware of. I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't say that. Um, but these are, but you know, he, he knows the type of person that I am. I'll say that. And so, um, so he's, you know, all, well, he can't put me, you can't platform me because of my presence. I'm just like my social media presence. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. But there's a lot that I can speak to behind the scenes. So then in the midst of all this, and then it all gets kind of foggy for me, but there was a point where the friend who asked him about what his vision was, he then turns on her. And he basically starts bringing up a bunch of gossip about her Hmm. that he's heard from other people in the church about. And the gossip specifically is nothing salacious. It's specifically related to her not wanting to be at the church, but her, but her husband, they're still at the church just because her husband is still there is still wants to be there and how she wants to leave the church and just all this, just going through all this stuff. And so she's asking him, she's like, who, who is saying this stuff? Who like, like what, where is it? Where is this coming from? He goes on to say that she is angry and unapproachable and he's just, so he's just talking about all this stuff. So, so essentially what's, what's happening here in the presence of everyone else, in the presence of everyone else, Tyler, in the presence of, so there's, so there's like 10 of us in this room. Wow. He's going on about all this stuff in front of all of us. And so it, and it is awkward. But so everything that he's saying to her, it's stuff that it's, it's, it's clear as day to me that it's white people coming to him or, or them talking in circles. I have no idea, but it's microaggressive type stuff. So because, because she, my, my friend is not, I mean, I think that I maybe I, I've known her for, for a while now and we've maybe hugged twice, maybe she's not a hugger. This church people, people are very, you know, hug, fist bump, whatever. She's not a very physical person. She's very mm-hmm. kind of reserved in that, in that respect. So it was like, you know, she wasn't, she, because, because she wasn't, I guess, physically outgoing enough with people. She's also somebody that she's, that she definitely wanted because there's a lot of, because even in the most diverse church in the city, we were still quite outnumbered as black and brown people. And so she was a care pastor. She and her husband were care pastors at the church. And so they made a point to go up to black people and to make black people feel welcome. Honestly, she's one of the reasons why I stayed. If I'm real, like she's one of the reasons why my family stayed is because both her and her husband made my family feel, feel incredibly welcome. And, you know, she reached, she didn't know me from Adam and she reached out and invited, took me out to lunch and, you know, just wanted to, wanted to, you know, wanted to get to know me and all this other type of stuff. And so, yeah, she was, she was doing that. Um, serving, doing that in that capacity primarily toward black people. And it wasn't like she was, you know, hateful toward white people, but some of the stuff, I won't, I won't tell it's her story. It's the, some of this is, is like, you know, aspects are her story to tell, but I will say that like people behave very microaggressively toward her constantly. And um, that stuff was coming up 
in public in this meeting, and this pastor mm-hmm. was was using these things as an indictment wow. against her. And so she's at, to defend his own fragility. Yes, and so wow. at this point, so she's saying all this stuff, or he's saying all this stuff, and so I'm like waiting for the moment to kind of come in and say, like, hold, hold on a second, maybe you shouldn't say that she's angry and unapproachable. But like, so they end up starting going back and forth in this meeting, like back and forth, like raised voices and everything. And so there's a point where, um, where everybody else who was kind of there was kind of like, okay, maybe this is like supposed to be a, maybe this should be a private conversation. So we all get up. And so it's the pastor, his wife, and my friend in this room, in this room. And, um, I was, I was really uncomfortable with that, um, I was just, I was just really uncomfortable with that for, for a lot of reasons I won't get into right now. Um, but, but we left for a moment and then I was just like, okay, y'all, we got to go back in there. Like I didn't, I didn't know what was happening in there. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how my friend is feeling right now. And so I was just like, we need to go back in there. So we went back in there. So we, we met for the rest of the time. And so I was actually sitting next to my friend. Um, we were, we were sitting in some chairs and there was a table between us and she's sitting there. And she is quiet. Her face is is stone like a rock. But she had she had the Denzel tears coming out her eyes, mm. like you know Denzel and Glory. After right. after he gets beat, he she had she had the Denzel tears come coming out her eyes. And all this is going on, and I'm just sitting here like I don't feel good about this. I don't feel good about this at all. Like I'm in the meeting, I'm smiling, I'm whatever. But I was like, I'm I'm going to talk to him. So I so I know I had known this pastor. I was on his staff. I had known this pastor for a very long time. So I was like, you know what? I'm not okay with this. So after this meeting is over, I'm going to sit down with him and I'm just going to be like, look, you can't, you can't call black women angry and unapproachable. Like what happened, what happened here was not, was not okay. So I had, I had that set in my mind. And so as we were leaving for the meeting, he asked my friend to stay over at, after the meeting. And so he was just like, you know, just, just for, she didn't want to stay. And she, he was just like, just 15 minutes. So I was there. And I didn't live very far from, from the church. And so I was kind of hanging around because I was waiting for my turn to go in. And so, you know, 15 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed, 30 minutes passed. And I'm just like, okay, well, I mean, I guess maybe I'll go home. So I get in my car and I text one of the other women that were there. And I was like, she's still in there. And so I'm, and, and so I'm starting, so I'm driving off and I just don't feel good about it at all. And I drive off. My friend's like, what do you mean she's still? I'm like, she's still in there. She's still, she's still in that meeting. And I was, and so um, my friend is like, oh, well, you know, she's okay. I was, like, I was like, I feel like somebody needs to go in there and be with her. And so she's like, oh, so my friend's like, oh, she's okay. Her husband's in there. And I was like, he absolutely is not in there with her. It's just mm-hmm. her and the pastor and the pastor's wife. And so my friend is like, uh, what? And I'm like, I was, I had been there. And like, I, I went home and I don't, and, and so she was like, Okay, I'll contact her husband. And so I went back up to the church. And so I walked in the room. And so I was just like, I, I so at this point, because I mean, they're, they're in the office and whatever. So I'm just like, I walk back in the room. I'm just like, I look in and I'm like, are you okay? So the pastor like tells me to leave. And I look and I just look back at my friend. I was like, are you okay? And so she's like, we're finishing up. And so I'm like, okay, she said, she didn't say that she was okay. She said that they're finishing up. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stay back and wait for her. And so I'm going to stay back and wait for her to come out. So we come, so she comes out the meeting and she goes to her car and I'm just like, what do you need me to do right now? Like what's, what's going on? What do you need me to do? And so she just sits down and she's just like, she's like, I'm so disoriented right now. And so her husband pulls up at this point 
And so we're sitting in the car. And so he's just kind of like, are you okay? And she's just kind of like, yeah. So we sat in the car and she's just telling me everything that, that was said in that meeting that I, I, I wasn't there. So I'm not going to recount it. Um, but she's just like, I'm so disoriented. Like I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm so disoriented. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm disoriented. Like, oh, like I've been told all this stuff. And so um, at this point, you know, we had been at the church for hours. This kid, th- this pastor's got teenage kids. I felt, I felt bad for his kids because his kids had been at the church, I think since seven o'clock in the morning. And so I was like, okay. And they, and they were trying to go to youth group. And so I was just like, okay, I'm not going to say anything right now, but I'm going to go home and write an email and I'm going to try to meet with him later. And maybe it's good that I don't, that, that I'm not meeting right now. Mm-hmm. And so I sent him an email and I explained, you know, everything that happened in the meeting and was just like, yeah, you know, as a black woman, this, this really affected me. And, um, you know, uh, this, this really affected me to hear her characterized as angry and unapproachable. It seems like that there's a lot of personal issues and stuff coming out here and I can't speak to those things, but I was just really uncomfortable with that. And so, and I was like, and I would like to meet to talk more about it. And so he was like, okay, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I take what you're saying to heart. I'm not able to meet right now. And so I'm not able to meet at all. And so on this, and so I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like you're thinking, thinking that, you know, okay, like a schedule's busy or whatever. So remember that, that uh, facing racism training that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this incident have this meeting happened on a Sunday that phrase that facing racism was the following Saturday. So we go to facing the facing racism stuff. So all this is, is, is brewing and, and going on. So my friend, you know, she, she had been asked to step down for ministry. Then she had been, then, then he had told the the pastor had told her that she needed to step down for ministry. Mm. Then her husband had gotten involved with it and it was like, okay, well, no, y'all don't need to step down like whatever. So there's, there's a lot of, and I'm hearing this, you know, secondhand, but there, but there was a lot of confusion like on their part of like, what's, what's happening here. Cause okay, we're in ministry. We're not in ministry. So we go to that facing racism thing and, you know, my, I, I didn't get to participate in it. I, I think that they hadn't accounted for my, but I've been told that I could come to this. I've been planning on coming to this. And then like, I was there and then like, I couldn't participate in it. It was like, okay, you know, well, the person who was, who had put it together was like, okay, yeah, you can just sit here in a, a, as an observer. Cause this is for, this is for leaders in the church. Okay, cool. Whatever. Like I'll, I'll observe. Wow. So, so, so I'm observing. So I mean, I'm just at this point, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, obs- I'm observing. Right. So I'm going to observe. So I was sitting here, you know, taking notes, whatever. And you, know, I was, I was sitting here with my, my little iPad out with my little Apple pencil was taking all kinds of notes and everything, taking copious notes of different things, of different dynamics and stuff that I noticed. And, um, you thought like, okay, you know, they, like they, they, they really maybe still wanted me to be part of this. Right. And so, but then, but then toward by the end of it, I was like, huh, I'm not, I feel like that I was just there, like just that they, that they, they said that they wanted me there, but they didn't, they didn't actually like want me there. But in this facing racism thing, um, my friend brought up how she had, how there had been an incident in the church and about how there had been something with a leader in the church. And um, she just did not feel like she was really at liberty to be able to speak and participate fully because of because the person who she had had the conflict with was in the room and like it just and, and so this and it sounds super shady but it really it like it really wasn't like they because they were talking because it, this was part of some of the exercise that they that they were doing and so push comes to shove so that that happened on a saturday by the following um tuesday wednesday my friend had been kicked out the church what so wow yes so that my quick. friend, 
that quick, that quick in over a course of like nine days, basically my friend, my friend and her family have been asked to find another place to worship. And what was um, the reason? What was given? What was the reason? Why? That they, um, the reason that was supplied both to them. And I believe that this reason was also supplied to me in an email was that, um, they, they might be better served, um, but might be better served by worshiping in a different place. And, um, Mm. yeah, that was, there was, there wasn't really a reason given. And so whenever this happened, like, they like, okay, you know, they get kicked out the church. So I'm like, oh my goodness, this doesn't sit well with me. So my immediate response was to contact my campus pastor and to be, he was a black man. And I was just like, can you, can you help me? Because my, my posture was maybe there's something that I don't know that's, that's happening like behind the scenes that I don't know. So like, is there like, if, if somebody had just said, Hey, there's more behind the scenes, you don't know, shut up, sit down. I, I would have been cool with that. Right. Um, I'd be like, okay, awesome. Wonderful. <laughs> cool. Okay. I guess there's that, you know, I don't, I don't know what I don't know. Let me, let me sit my don't know mouth. Let me sit my don't know behind and shut my don't know mouth and whatever. And so I asked him with this campus pastor. So he was like, um, and so he was like, yeah, you know, you probably, you probably want to talk to Pastor T about this too, because I really don't know what's going on, but I'm, but I'm, you know, I'm totally willing to, to sit down and um, we get, we can get coffee and, you know, we can sit, we can sit down and, and talk about it. So I was like, okay, cool, bet. So we had, so um, we had arranged a meeting to meet, to meet on a Monday. And so I feel like that, like that Wednesday or Thursday, I decided, okay, you know, I'm a, okay, cool. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a email to pastor and was like, Hey, yeah, I I heard that that my, that my friends that they that, that you know that they were told that they needed to find another church, and I was just wondering. Um, so so actually, I did not send this email. My husband and I actually um sent an email to the pastor together. So my first email, it was just it was just me like, hey, can I can I meet with you like right after the meeting had happened, like literally that day right after the meeting I was like, hey, um, you know, hey, let me let me tell you everything kind of in this meeting, some of the things that I observed. And was just kind of like, you know, some of the things that were said were problematic and kind of hit me the wrong way as a, as a black woman. Um, I would love to meet to be able to talk more about this. And so uh, the pastor told me, you know, you can't, well, we, I, I'm not able to meet. Um, and so um, my assumption, he didn't say it explicitly, but my assumption was just that, you know, he was, he was busy and wasn't able to meet. And so um, whenever I had arranged to meet with the campus pastor, um, he had suggested that I also uh, talk to the pastor about it. That I, that I talked to Pastor Tyler about it, and so I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I could, I could do that." I just had messaged him like a week ago, or just emailed him a week ago, and he said he wasn't able to meet. But I'll, I'll certainly, you know, I'll try again because maybe something's changed. And so um, my husband and I sent an email, and we were just like, "Hey, you know, we're we're really concerned about what happened here, and we just really like we want to know." Um, we just we just really want to understand and and it's just like, like let me make sure that I'm phrasing that right like we literally were just like we want to understand what happened mm-hmm. like we weren't like we want to know what happened we were just like we right. want to understand we want to understand because the thing is is that like you know, this this was this was our pastor like I mean yeah. he was he was our first pastor I mean if he had said like you know I mean if if he had told us that the moon was made of green cheese then I would have been like okay well maybe it is like mm-hmm. um you know not like you know, blindly follow or whatever in that respect but there was just I mean even in the years that we were in Virginia even in it, there were times that I would text him and would ask for advice about about different things at different at different um you know, ministry positions and and jobs that I'd had over the years um he was somebody that 
I felt like cared for my family, cared for us deeply, and we cared for him and his family deeply. And um, you had served on staff with him through some really difficult times in the in the life of the church and everything. And so um, it was one of those things. And he had actually had met with my husband individually one time because he had said something because uh, the pastor had said something um, in church that in a sermon that um, concerned my husband. And so mm-hmm. um, they had met individually before, and that meeting was very pivotal for for the pastor. He even said that um, the pastor Tyler even had said that his meeting with my husband was was very pivotal for him and understanding some things. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, my husband and I will we'll meet together. Like that's like, you know, I I went I, I asked myself, we'll both we'll both ask and and because this is something that's really concerning the both of us because he knew about everything that was going on. And so um we got an email back from him, just a, a quick email that just was like, um I don't have anything more to say about this and basically saying that he wasn't going to meet with us. Hmm. And so very dismissive. Wow. Yeah. Like, so you know, super, super um, kind of just like he didn't have any, he didn't have anything more to add to what had been said already to what had happened already. And so it was kind of like, okay. So if you don't have anything more to add, like I was there for, a lot of what happened. So <laughs> I was there for a lot of what had happened. And so, um, all right. And so something that I'll, that I'll go back and add just because uh, I'm just going to add it just so I can tell the whole story is that the Sunday after the, the, um, whole, uh, racism workshop thing, um, my friend and her husband did decide immediately after the sermon that that um that sunday they decided that they were going to just step down from ministry mm-hmm. they, like there had been there had been some back and forth that week and so then like um there were just there were some some different things that 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 had happened um within that that they did decide to say to step down but they had but whenever um because it was actually my friend's husband who had talked to the pastor and said hey we're going to step down but we're still staying at the church and he he made it explicit that they still intended to stay at the church just right now they needed to, they needed to step back um but they needed to step back from the the public ministry aspect of it and so mm-hmm. it was one of those things where it's kind of like you know where where somebody you, you hear that somebody's breaking up with you so you dump them before they can break up with people. like <laughs> of course, that it was of course, like yes. like it was it was really kind of yes. that dynamic and so um i think that because of some of the the things that had happened in the church that this that 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 pastor tyler is kind of sensitive to to rejection from people in the church and so i think that it that that i, I mean I, I can't speak to his motive i can't speak to his to his mind or whatever but i could definitely see where that could be a reaction where it's like Oh, okay, I'm just gonna. So you're saying that you're stepped down, that you're stepping down. Well, I'm just gonna push you out before before I get before I have to experience the rejection of of mm. um, you y'all leaving. That's what I think happened. Um, I could be I could be completely wrong, and I maybe shouldn't analyze that, but I did want to add that just to add that um, just to just to be um, forthright about about everything. Um, so anyway, so um, I got in the past, I got an email saying basically, Hey, I don't have anything to add, um, and declining to meet with us. So I was like, okay, well, that's cool. I'm going to be meeting with this campus pastor anyway. And so maybe we'll be able to talk about it. So not very long after that, I got a message from the campus pastor that was like, um, so I've been told that I cannot meet with you about this issue. Hmm. 
and that this is an issue for the leadership of the church. And so we can meet still and we can you know, discuss anything else you want to, but we just can't discuss what happened with these people. And so like I had a moment, I snapped. I was like, this is, this is unethical. This is, and I, and I told him, I was like, right. I was like, you know what, right. bam, like, this isn't okay. This is unethical. Like, like I am a parishioner coming, asking for pastoral care because people that were important to me left the church under some pretty like bad circumstances. And I'm not, and I'm not even able to receive the care, not to mention the aspect of you're going to close, you're going to circle the wagons. This wasn't a personnel issue because the people who, the people who were involved were, were volunteers. And um, it wasn't like they got fired or any, or anything like that. I mean, these are, these are volunteers leaving the church. These weren't people who were on the payroll. These weren't people who were on staff. And so um, we emailed back and we were just like, okay, if you can't, if you can't meet with us, like we, we really hate this. This doesn't feel good. We mentioned the thing about, you know, wanting pastoral care and being denied pastoral care. And we just like, you know, this, this feels really super toxic. And so we're going to, we can't stay here anymore. Like if we're not going to address this, like we can't, we can't stay there. We can't stay here anymore. And so um, we, so we left and we left because we couldn't, because we couldn't stay anymore. Like we just, it's like, if, if you're going to do, if you're going to mess up like that and it was, and it was a mess up and it was a public mess up. Right. And it's like, you know, if you're going to do something like your apology has to be as loud as your disrespect was. And mm, he behaving very, he, he, it was, it was disrespectful. It was wrong. And yeah, my friend, you know, yeah, she, she was arguing back with him. I think that she was well within her right to, she actually, she actually apologized to him for, for like, for arguing with him. And I'm just, cause she, cause she didn't feel good. And, and maybe I'll tell him stuff that's, that's not mine to tell, but she actually did apologize to him um, for her, for her part of it. Um, because she felt bad. She's like, you know what? I just want, you know, I just want to be right with, I just want to make, I, 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 I acted, I came out of character. And so since I came, since I came out of character, like for myself, I'm going to apologize, even though like what she was experiencing was like mad violent, you know, like you're going to sit here and not only like share gossip that you heard from other people, not only like share all these, this microaggressive stuff, but then you're going to do microaggressive stuff. And then she's just supposed to sit here and just take it with a smile, fam. No, but she, I mean, because and I told her, I was like, you, you better than me. Because like, right. they, they, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't apologize for, I wouldn't apologize. There, I had nothing to apologize for um because i i I had nothing i had nothing to apologize for so i wouldn't wouldn't have apologized but that's that's on her and that's her and her holy ghost and so i mean she she did what she could to make the to make the situation right so i don't begrudge her that at all i mean it's not it's not for me to sit here and armchair quarterback but for myself witnessing this rife misogynoir this this rife racial microaggression insensitivity Plus, knowing knowing what I knew that you don't have the mechanism to deal like like y'all y'all just sitting here just catering to this white fragility like just just catering to people like like people in the church people in the church can act in a way that is racially insensitive and racially violent toward black people. And it's black people that end up having to leave the church. It's black people that's getting pushed out the church. It's black people that's being called that that's being called angry and unapproachable. Meanwhile, these white women are just are just sitting here pretty. Just just so just sitting here pretty. There was no checking to your knowledge. There was no 
rebuke of the original offense, which was what was posted publicly. There was no, there was, there was there, was there any ramifications for the person who posted that? Was it just like, Hey, she said she was sorry. It's over. There, to, there was no ramifications. I don't think that there's any ramification. Now the person who, who this, who did say this, cause I mean, her, her story was, it was, it was all like an accident. It was all big misunderstanding. And so she was just kind of like, okay, if there's consequences that need to come, let them come. So I will, I will give her that, that she had that much integrity to potentially to accept any potential um, consequences that might come to her. I think that the approach from what I remember, this has been, this has been a little bit now, but from what I remember, I think that the approach was sort of like, Hey, what on earth were you doing? Why did you, why did you post this? And she couldn't, she couldn't give a good answer for it. And so then it was just kind of, but she apologized. So then it was just kind of, it was sort of like, okay, well, what else can we do? Yeah. So there, but there was just no addressing of the harm that y'all had experienced as a result of that. And then the response, wow. So there's just so many different layers here. There's pastoral layers, there's misogynoir, (laughs) there's, you know, race, there's power, there's all these different elements, but Here's something that I wanted to ask you because in all of this, you are at a church that held a nostalgic place in your heart. And you had loyalty towards this church because of what it meant to you. And I think back on spaces that I were in that were, you know, majority white Christian spaces, and I have nostalgia in my heart. There's a hold it has on my heart based upon what what that time meant for me or where I was in my life. What would you, how do you characterize that now? And how do you analyze that now? Because it seems as though that gets us as Black Christians into a lot of trouble. That because I grew up here, because this is a place that I know, because this is, there's familiarity, because I can count on this pastor, because there was this moment in time, that that nostalgia almost exercises this hold on us that makes it hard for us to break away from spaces that are disregarding our personhood. What would you say? Would you agree with that? Or or how, how do you look at that now? So I look at it now in that I gave them a lot more leeway and a lot more grace than I would have in other circumstances because I had context for the people. I knew how things used to be. And I had context for the pastor. I had context for a lot of different things. And so I so I really wanted, in my particular situation, I really wanted to exercise a level of care that wasn't just like outright dismissal. Because like I said, I mean, you know, back before, before we even came back, I was questioning whether or not we should go back. And I wasn't really sure. I didn't, I, I really wasn't sure whether we should go back. Because uh, there's there's a whole there's whole layers of stories that I'm not even that I'm not even telling here of stuff I was trying to tell the stuff that was like direct through lines to us to us leaving but there's like a whole other slew of stuff um, that other stories that I could that I could tell um, about things that happened while while we were there but I was but I was willing I think in that in that space to exercise like a modicum of grace because I because I understood. Um, what they were, what they were trying to do, what they said that they were trying to do. And, um, you know, again, you know, giving, giving courageous, their, their, their flowers and stuff here. Um, you know, this was a church that, um, was, was 
took on, you know, a, a denominational system that was rife with, with legalism and stuff and just said, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do that anymore. And, um, you know, Pastor Tyler like lost a lot in that. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there, there are people that, that left the church that, you know, that, that, yeah, I mean, he, he took a lot of, he put a lot of stuff into that church and he dealt with a lot. And as a staff member, I saw a lot behind the scenes that he was dealing with. And I know that there was a, that there was realms beyond that that he was dealing with. And so he had put his money where his mouth was in terms of not having legalism and and not and wanting people to to be free from from legalism. And so I just assumed that he would approach racism with that level of tenacity and with that level of if people get their feelings hurt, they get their mm. feelings hurt. Mm. And I did not quite see that level of approach. I saw that the first line of defense was to cater to white fragility. There was just a, that that he was he was not and, and the thing that I, I that I pinpointed before we even walked in the door um, the first time as as returning there, I was just like, they think that they are farther along in this journey than what they are. And so there was a lot of because because he had managed to be the he was the white pastor in Springfield who had managed to get the golden ticket of getting of getting all these blacks and Hispanics and whoever else to show up at the church that that some of these other churches um, churches that even were much bigger. um, We have denominational churches that were that were some of the largest in their denomination, the largest in their denomination, um, that weren't able to do that, that weren't able to attract black people, that weren't able to attract black and brown folks. And so, or to have them, you know, constitute any significant portion of the congregation. And so, you know, you have this, this pastor who's, who's like a nobody from nowhere, um, and, and, you know, and, and, and he would characterize himself as that, you know, that he's, you know, nobody from nowhere that shows up and pops off and, you know, in, in a couple of years, um, you know, relaunches a church and in a few years has the most diverse church in the city. Mm. Um, you yeah. know, there was, there, so there's all of that, that was, that was there. Um, but I swiftly realized like, hold on a second, all of this is here, but this is, this is false unity. This is false. Mm. This is a false piece because we're because everybody is afraid to talk about racism. Um, the people who were taught, the people, the black people, the black and brown folks in the congregation who dared to be outspoken about racism, um, a lot of them were often uh, policed and were shut down. Um, you know, I, I would watch, I would watch comment sections of people that I that I had known, and I would, I, I, I was, I was, I was looking, I was looking with a very close eye, and looking at some of the dynamics there, and I'm just, and I'm just seeing there, y'all think that y'all are farther along than what you are, and you're catering to white fragility. The other thing that I will say, and again, this isn't a knock, I'm just telling the truth, is that the there is enough blackness, blackness and brownness, black culture was there as the seasoning. It wasn't there as the reality. So hmm. black people were used as little flecks of pepper to add spice. Black and brown people were used as like little flecks of, of, of pepper and spice to, to add to add taste and to add spiciness to the the reality there and i'm saying this this isn't just a slam on courageous this is multi-ethnic churches in general but i'm yes. speaking to a local church context because i think that they'll just i'll just come out here for a second and just say that like 
you know, with, with uh, your story, Tyler, and with Jamar's story, there's a lot of like intersections with kind of national, big, you know, organizations, groups of people that people know. I'm speaking from a local church perspective, so I can only name my experience, but I've had experiences in a lot of different places and in talking with other people that have had experience in the local church. I'm just, I'm speaking, I'm speaking to my context. And in the local church context, often something that I've seen is that black and brown people, we are used as seasoning. And it's like, and in, and at, and at my old church in particular, black culture was just used as something to show, hey, we're cool, hip and relevant. But then black presence and like, like black minds weren't, weren't appreciated. And so just an example of that, um, they're like black culture would be used as a marketing tool. So like there would be something like, yes, get into this. Yes. So, so black, so black culture would just be used as a marketing tool. So I remember that there was, um, a day where, um, there was, there was a day where people, um, would, would serve and would, would go out into the city and do stuff. So there was one year that the shirts for that, for that day said, we out here. And like, so everybody in the church is wearing these shirts that say, we out here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I really have, like, I, like that, I really feel some type of way about that. And so um, I didn't, because I, I had to study. So I was in school, I had to study, so I didn't participate in the day. Um, but my husband participated in that day. So he came home with his shirt and he just kind of like, has like this look on his face, like, yeah, I had to wear this for, to participate in this survey. And oh my gosh. And so I was just like, no, like, don't, don't ever wear that shirt out in public again. Like that's like, this is like, we out here is not something for white people to be using and to be wearing. And like, this is whatever. Right. There was another thing that was like a market marketing thing for small groups. That's like, where my, where my people at? Not where are my people, but where my people at? <laughs> and right. I'm like, hold on a second. Like, so, so you can have that black culture in that respect, but then y'all won't sing black music. So hmm. like, Hold hold on a second, and so it's like, or, or y'all will sing black music, but then it's like whiteified. I don't know. You got black sing, so so you you got black singers up on the platform. You got what the, like the best worship team in the city. That's one. That's won awards. That's done all this. That's done all this other type of stuff. And like you and 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 you know, just it's you know, talented musicians and everything, but then black music is approached with like kid gloves, and it's like. Oh well, you know we can't. We want to do a fusion, and and there's just there's there's so much more that I can say about that that I'm not that I'm not going to say about it. But like, it was there. It, it was a thing, and there and there were people. There were black people in the church that that asked about this, and like you know like where's our music at? And like you know hey could we could could you know we maybe have more of this? And there was just there was a lot of defensiveness around why that wasn't the case, and so. Um, there's just there's just all this thing where we're you know we're we're here and we're there but like only if we are safe to them and something that i'm going to say and um you know i don't know if anybody from there is listening and i certainly hope that um if there is anybody from there that happens to be listening that um the people i'm not implicating specific people in what i'm in what i'm saying i'm just speaking to a general trend I'm not talking, so I'm not talking about courageous anymore. I'm just speaking about a general trend that happens in some of these white churches, and it may or may not apply there, um, is that often Black people, something that I've noticed in these multi-ethnic church spaces, is that the Black people are always 
like safe black people almost always mm-hmm. like like the type like they're they're not they're not too loud they're not too outspoken they're not too whatever they can they can be cool enough um they, they can they can you know, have enough blackness about them to be cool but not enough to be threatening and and categorically i often see where it's black men married to white women that are in leadership and something that I think yeah. throws people, and, and we and we can park there for for a moment if you want to, but something I think that throws people off about me, since I am married to a white man, um, I am not that type of Negro that is just going. And I know, and, there, and I know that's black men that's not like this either, but I'm not that type of Negro that is going to be that that just because I'm somehow adjacent to whiteness that like I'm going to somehow like stand for whiteness and like ride hard for whiteness and make sure that white people are um, are are comfortable and and all that type of stuff like i'm that's that's not that's not where i'm at um that's not that's not who i am as a person and so like often you know white supremacy will will paint black people to be to be hostile to be militant to be to be radical and so they want they want the want the black people who aren't like that and so for there's something that i think people find disarming about a couple that that one of the spouses is black but the other isn't and i think that that there's a safety Mm. that white people that white people find Mm. in that and so um i think so i think that i throw some people off because i'm not that because you know what i love my husband i i you know we've been together since we were 16 17 years old i love him um, but at the end of the day, I also love myself way too much to allow him. I love myself way too much to allow him to be complicit in my oppression. Like, I'm just not okay. Like, I'm not okay with that. Um, and I love myself way too much to allow him to allow other people to sin against me. And so like, hmm. I'm, 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 I'm gonna say that again. Like, I just, I love it for me like you know it's the 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 adjacency to whiteness or whatever it really doesn't it really doesn't matter to me because like i'm not gonna at the end of the day i think that some i think i'll say it this way i think that some white people think that if black people have to choose between black people and their spouse and their white spouse they're going to choose their white spouse because it's your spouse is the most mm. intimate relationship or whatever and i just feel like that that's a, that that's a false choice and i feel like that white supremacy plays on that like white supremacy, white supremacy, white supremacy preys and plays on what they perceive to be a vulnerability. Cause they're like, okay, well, you know, whenever it comes, whenever it comes down, you know, they're going to choose their spouse. And I'm just sitting here like, no, like that, that's actually not the case for me. I, I love my husband, but like, I'm not going to choose whiteness over my freedom ever. And he knows that. And so I'm, I love myself and I love him. I love myself way too much to allow him to be complicit in my, in my oppression. And I love him way too much to allow him to allow others to sin against me. Like, I'm just not like, like what, what kind of spouse would let other people sin against your spouse because of why? Like, that's what racism is, is like you're sinning against somebody. So why would my spouse ever let somebody sin against me? No, I, I would hope that he that he wouldn't that he wouldn't do that. And so and I love myself way too much 
to be out here like, okay, you know, I'm just going to let, I'm just going to sit here and we're just going to let it ride because, you know, I love my spouse and like, what? no, like white, whiteness isn't like white supremacy isn't okay. And so white supremacy is just, it's not okay if it's, if it's a black person, if it's a white person doing it and white supremacy isn't okay if white supremacy is in blackface and I'm here to be against white supremacy. And so if that means that and thankfully my spouse, like he, like, you know, he, he rides, he's, he's ride or die on it. So I, I don't ever mm-hmm. have to worry about him. Um, but yeah, I think that that, I think that that's a dynamic that, that happens. And I've seen this in, I've seen this dynamic in multiple churches. Like I, I in fact, remember I was looking for internship sites, um, to do my internship at in other cities. So I was thinking I was going to have to do my internship in another, in another city. I was looking for, I was looking at churches, um, that, that, you know, maybe had black people or whatever on staff at like some places because you know, there's educational requirements, not saying that black churches didn't, didn't have that, but those, but those credentials, and, and I did look at some black churches, but those credentials are often more accessible and stuff with white churches, like knowing like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, this person mm-hmm. has an MDiv um, from, from here and there. So that, so just doing internet searches, it was a lot easier to be able to find that type of stuff. And so I'm looking at multi-ethnic churches and stuff on the internet and I'm seeing black people on staff and I'm seeing like the staff pictures and seeing the spouses and it's almost always a white spouse. And I'm just out here and it's almost always a black man with a white woman. And I'm just like, that I just I, I see that dynamic. I've seen that dynamic in in other places where I've been involved, and I'm just like I don't know what really like gives with that. But it's just like okay, we're gonna we're gonna platform a black person, but they have to somehow be a, attached to whiteness. And biracial people also get the same exploitation. Like they think right. that they're and it's just it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and and I'm glad you're speaking to this because I th- I think it does make me sad because I sense that there is a level in that of deploying those black people um, as tools to make other black people feel comfortable, and so I I always wonder and question the agency of how churches utilize those types of interracial marriages and relationships, and I mean that's such a, a a complex discussion that deserves its own time and its own podcast, but that is a, it's common, right? And it's common as something mm-hmm. that we see a lot and how that's done. Also, you know, we should be also aware and sensitive to the reality of white supremacy, even in the way churches choose and, and even in the way churches present. And so you're talking about this public presentation of blackness, whether it's in you know, interracial marriages, or also just in general, using certain phrases and black culture. And I've seen that in advertisements and campaigns and black phrasing and, and, you know, African-American vernacular. And it's like, okay, Mm. this is interesting. Like, so you're using us, but not really using us, right? So you're using what we can bring just as flavor, but you're not, I mean, you know, you put this on, on, you know, pictures and flyers and advertisements. There's nobody black on your staff. So this is like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so you're just sitting back like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. So this whole situation though, it's causing your eyes to be open to these realities already. You already saw it, but now it's being clear. It changed you. Like it changed, you know, part of your perspective. And it also was very harming for you. When you left that church, the second time around, there was a lot of pain associated with that, I'm sure. And yeah. how, how how did you respond to what, – what's that like? Because I don't think we talk about that enough. Like I don't think we talk 
I think we talked about, okay, I've, I landed in this place and it was great. And, you know, now I'm healed and I'm now I can talk about it. But after that, there's a lot of pain. And what was that like? Yeah, there was, there was a lot of pain. I mean, you know, I, I, for sure, I was angry about the situation that had happened. I didn't like how it went down, but I was incredibly sad. I was, in, I was just, I was incredibly sad about it um, because I, I mean, it was, it was, it was my church home. It was a place that I considered to be, to be my church home. And so it was very difficult then to leave. And thankfully I did have some connections and stuff outside of Courageous in order to, like, I, I had some connections that I think softened that on the way down. And um, the other thing is that since I, I've been connected, but, you know, I've been, I'd remained connected for, for all those years, but I wasn't actually, I'd only actually been a part of, you know, that particular iteration of the church. I had only really been a part of it um, for a couple of years. And so um, I didn't have the, some of the deep connections that I had, um, that were, that were there, like those relationships had already changed because I had moved to Virginia and had been in Virginia for so long. Um, but there's, but there still was like profound loss that happened. You know, um, there was somebody who was actually, it was a staff member who was a friend. And I thought that, I, I mean, I thought that we were friends. I thought that we were getting to be close friends. Um, you know, she had been to my home a few times. I had been, um, to her home. Her home was actually where, um, I, where I led the small group and stuff. And, um, whenever we left, um, cause I didn't, I didn't really say like at the time, I didn't really say a whole lot about it publicly. Like there were people that I, there were people outside of there that I told and that I let know what was happening because so they could support me. Um, but it wasn't something that I just, you know, like jumped on and was like, oh, hey, you know, this happened. Like I didn't, I didn't do that immediately. And so, but I did um, text the campus pastor and said, because he was, it, you know, I really liked him. Like, you know, I just was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to text him. I'm gonna, the least I can do is let him know that we, that, that we're leaving. And so I told him that, that we, that we were leaving. And so, you know, he wished us well and everything. And, um, you know, there's, there's no hard feelings or anything there at all. I mean, you know, we've, we've interacted and stuff on social media since, um, you know, not, not anything, uh, yeah, just, I don't feel any kind of way. I mean, if I, if I saw him someplace, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be awkward at all. Um, but there was another person that I was, that was good, that I felt like we were becoming friends with. And I, and I had texted her after we had made the decision to go and, she never responded. And hmm. I like, not, not, not a like, Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Nothing. Like she said, she said nothing like where, you know, she had been, um, you know, where she had, you know, maybe would, would comment on statuses or different things on my Facebook page or whatever, you know, connect with me there. Um, she didn't say anything to me. Um, Hmm. And that was true for a lot of the white people who I was connected to there. Um, many of them just kind of, I just ceased to exist to them. Um, 
with the black people, the ones that I knew, it was a little bit of a different story. Um, I can actually say now that I think of everybody of all, like I think there was like, you know, 10 of us who were in that room. And then there was like another kind of outward circle of people who were affected by what had happened that had sparked some of those meetings. There's not any of us that go to that church anymore. I don't think like there might wow. be one, there hmm. might, there might be one, but I, but, but none of them, none of them to my knowledge still go there. And so um, that, that was a progression. That was a progression of over probably like a year or, or more um, for some of them to get to that point. There were, I think um, there were three of us that left immediately um, there were a few that kind of questioned for a while and like some people, like one, one person I think moved. And so they, so they were going there still. Um, but then they moved, um, they didn't want to go there. Um, but they, but just with family circumstances, they, they wanted their, their kids to be in church. And so they decided, um, to stay there. Um, and so they, and they struggled with that, with that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, anyway, um, it was something that was just, that was very painful. I gained a bunch of weight. Um, I had, you know, was, was getting my health and stuff together and it really like derailed my, my health, my, my, my progress, um, with my health and, you know, not to tie weight to health, but, um, part of me being able to get healthy and stuff after, after, um, having, you know, two, two difficult pregnancies, um, part of my getting healthy also, weight loss was, was part of that was, it was a natural, um, was a natural result of that. And, um, Mm. you know, I gained like 20 pounds. I also gained probably another like 15 or 20 pounds on top of that. That's like pandemic or whatever. And my unhealthy choices then, but, um, but yeah, like I, I, I gained like 15, 20 pounds, um, just because of just feeling incapacitated at times. And some of it was, you know, friends, my, my, one of my good friends bringing me donuts, um, as we sat and talked a lot and having mm-hmm. you know dinners and stuff with people. So some of it was that, but a lot of it was, I'm trying, so I'm trying to do this and mind you, like I'm still in school. So all this is happening. Not all my summer vacations. I didn't have summer vacation. All of this is, all of these things I'm telling you were happening while I was trying to study for seminary. And mm. while I was trying to write papers, in fact, the bulk of a lot of the the meeting and all this I and mean, all the fallout was happening um, would have been happening right around the time that I was trying to get ready for finals. And so wow. there and were still times, and still graduated with honors <laughs> and still and still graduated with a three point nine seven GPA. I got to throw that Come out on. there. Um, but like that was that was difficult. There were times that I felt that I felt just like incapacitated with, with grief and something that I probably should have said to begin with that I didn't say is I don't name the church. I don't name the pastor. I don't name any of this to be vindictive. I don't do any of this to punch down. Um, cause it's, cause honestly, like I'm just gonna be real. Like I really, um, struggled with telling this story. I, I've 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 talked about mm-hmm. it some different times. I have an episode that I don't go as in depth as I've gone here. I mean, y'all probably gonna cut like five thousand hours out of this because it's way too long. Because I because I talk uh-huh. way too dang much. Um, but like, I, I I've talked about it. I've tweeted about it some. Um, 
I've written about it some. I've I had an episode of my podcast kind of telling um, just an overview of some of what had happened because it affected because it affected my podcast coming out. I was supposed to come out. Um, my podcast was supposed to come out that fall, and it was just impossible for me to do it because of some of this. And um, but like I feel really weird even telling this story and I and I name it and I name the names because I think or some of the names I didn't name everybody's name because there's no reason to name um every every person in every situation but the reason why I use the name the reason why I I'm naming names in this respect in this regard is because there's there's a couple of reasons the first reason the first reason is because I think that, I mean, nobody cares about the courageous church in, in, you know, nowhere, Missouri, Springfield, Missouri means, I should say Springfield is nowhere. I mean, I have friends and stuff that's there, people that I care about, but it's, but it's, I mean, Springfield, Missouri isn't like, you know, a major city, right? You know, it's not like, you know, LA or New York or Atlanta or Chicago or something like that. I mean, it's, you know, it's a small city. Um, it's, it's, you know, inside ball, insider ball within, within this local context, but I share it because that's where a lot of us are struggling at. And a lot of us, I, I don't live in Springfield anymore. Um, I, I, I live in Chicago now. Um, but a lot of, a lot of people don't, you know, you live in your, in your small town, you live in your small city, you live where you live and you don't leave. And so you have to deal with seeing people at the grocery store. You have to deal with all this other type of stuff. And you have this pain of, you leave the church and then you feel like in some ways that you can't really talk about it with people because you don't want to be seen as bad mouthing the church. You don't want to be seen as slamming the church. You don't want to be seen as like doing anything. And so it creates the culture of silence where we, where we leave and maybe we go across town and we worship at another church, but we feel like we can't talk about it and name the experience. I'm so incredibly thankful to, to there were, there were, three pastors at three different churches um, and then many others and many other people who came along many other places that came alongside me during, during this period. Um, The, the, the pastor of the church where I did my internship at the connecting grounds, um, pastor Christy, she came alongside me um, whenever all this was going on. I spent hours on her front porch, sitting on porch swing, drinking coffee and processing through this. And I would not have been able to get through this without her. I would not have been able to get through this with without um, without Phil and Emily at Brentwood Christian Church, um, who they they were they were there for me. They supported me. They they listened to me. They gave me a place to be able to do um to do my preaching practicum at, I had to, I had to preach, um, for, for seminary. I put off homiletics to like the very end of my seminary career. Cause I, cause I dreaded doing it. And they gave me, they gave me a place to be able to, to be able to fulfill, um, those, those requirements at, um, father David at, uh, St. John's Episcopal church where, um, that's where my family ended up, ended up going. Um, he, he checked before we were even going to go there, before we even became members there. Um, he, I, I had, we had connected um, that summer and he had just, he had done a pastoral visit for us in the midst of all of this and listened to me tell what had happened and listened to the, the rawness and checked in with me multiple times afterward. Um, and even as like a parishioner, checked on me um 
to make sure that I was that I was doing okay and if there was anything um, that I that I could do. So thankfully, I I didn't have to be as silent as I might have had to have been if I was in some different contexts. But it was still it was still hard to name, and it was still hard to talk about. And I think that a lot of people, whenever they leave, they experience not being able to talk about it and not being able to name it by name. And so nobody, nobody cares about, nobody that, that the people who were there care about the church. And I'm not saying that like to be pejorative, the people who were there care about the church and I'm glad that they care about their church. But most of the people listening to this podcast do not care about this church. Like they don't, they don't know nothing about it. They don't care about it, but I name it because I'm hoping that it empowers somebody else to be able to tell their story and to name names mm. and to name yes. harm where it happened. Um, the other thing too is that I know that I've that I've said a lot. I know that I've again I've named names. I've said some stuff, but here's the thing, y'all. My hope is that this podcast, this I don't know how much of it y'all gonna hear. We've been we've been on this for a minute, fam. <laughs> I really hold out hope that this pastor will apologize for what happened Mm. to Mm. the people that it happened to and that his apology will be as loud as his disrespect. And I really, I really, I mean, I, I, I wish them well. I hope that there have been more and better efforts toward things, um, toward healing, um, racial healing at pet church. Um, it, I don't. I don't know a whole lot of people there. Don't talk to a whole. Don't talk to the people that I do know that are there about this. Um, but just what what I've been told is that there's is that there hadn't been for. I think it, you know, it, was, it might might have changed now. But I but I had heard that you know that that a lot of the things that they had set out to do after all this they didn't they didn't do them um, at least at first and maybe they're still doing them now. I don't I don't really know because I don't really keep up with them like that. I don't try to keep up with them like that. You know, I've, I've left that door. That door is, is closed. I don't need, I don't need to know um, everything that they're doing and every person and every whatever. Um, But I do, but I do know that um, there's not, there's not been an adequate like accounting for and, and repentance and apologies. And I, and I do know that others have left because those things were presumably because those things were, were absent. And so, um, yeah, I do it for that, but I feel, but I feel some type of way because I'm out here, you know, I got, I got a platform, I got like whatever, nobody, your audience don't really care about like all this inside, insider ball. Um, but like, if I, in some ways, I guess I feel awkward because I feel like, you know, is, is this, I, I question, like, is this punching down? Is naming the church, is this, is this punching, is this punching down? Is this, is this me being a person that, I mean, I'm not famous by any means, but like, you know, I'm known like, I mean, I, I'm getting to the place where, like, at least I don't know, I'm known on Facebook. I mean, I'm getting to places where, like, mm-hmm. I run into, I mean, but, I, but I've run into people in public um, that, that you know, they see my name and they ask, um, and they ask, like, who I am. Uh, or they ask, like, wait, are you, are you her? Um, you know, it's kind of at that, at that place um, now. And that's not, again, not to toot my own horn or anything. But so I feel like, you know, is there an element of this that's punching down? And I don't mean to punch down at all. I'm just, I'm just naming it because for a long time, 
I felt like I was trying to protect them by not naming them. And I realized hmm. that like, that I, that I was, that I was like, like, Oh, Oh, I don't want anybody to know. Cause I don't want people to think badly of them. I don't want people to think badly of me because I said something, you know, I don't want whatever, like, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now at this, and now at this point, like, it's just sort of like, I'm, I'm naming them because I was there and I'm, and sometimes we have to name, sometimes we have to name where the harm happens and my harm I didn't name some of these other places that I've been, even though I experienced harm there. Um, I didn't, I didn't name any of those other places um, because, you know, those, because in in many of the cases, um, some of those people like repented and apologized for the things that they did or um, repented and and apologized for how um, there were some inadequacies there. And I didn't tell and where there weren't other things i i didn't necessarily tell those things but i'm but i'm telling i'm telling this because it's because it's it's part of my story and it's a big part of my story and so yeah i i, I don't it's probably too much but i'm here no this is your story this is important um one last question i wanted to ask you there's so much more i could ask you but i feel like you know you're going to be on the podcast so many times you know, people are going to have the opportunity to hear more of your heart. But in this context, what has finding home been like for you? Like, do you feel like you found a place, not necessarily a, just a church, but a place, a reality community where you can be yourself, you can be seen, known, and affirmed, and you can heal from the hurt that you've experienced? Yes. So that's, so that's true on like multiple layers and levels. Um, so I, so I, you, I named, I named some people and I, and I did, I guess the other thing, thing too about naming is I wanted to name people that, that helped along the way. I named some hurt and I wanted to name, you know, naming, naming Phil and Emily and Father David and Pastor Christie and naming their congregations. I wanted to name places that, that helped me in places where I was, places that were able to suture the wound. Like, you know, I, I had this thing that, that was kind of this, this gaping wound and these people came in and these pastors, um, came in and sutured that wound for me. These are, these were white pastors, predominantly, predominantly white churches. But again, with, with the context that I was in, that was just, that was, that was where, that was where I ended up. And there's more to where I I could talk more about why I didn't end up someplace different, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really make a difference, um, to my point, to my point here. Um, so that was so that was something that initially being able to be um, with some people who could suture um, that wound from my kind of a pastoral kind of perspective. Um, the other aspect of it was just the community that I had with with black women. Um, there were there are black women that that loved and supported me both in both both there in Springfield. Um, but also my online friends, like also, also, you know, there, there's spaces that I'm part of, um, that are for black women where I was able to receive, where I was able to go and to receive healing. 
um, you know, I had other friends that were there that were supporting me. Um, my friend Emily brought me donuts um, from from a, from a donut from a local donut shop, gourmet donuts, um, a lot. Um, I don't blame her for my weight gain, um, totally, but like definitely red velvet donuts were, were <laughs> that'll maybe do not, it. That'll do were it. maybe not the best health choice at the time, but it was what I needed. It was what my soul needed, if mm, not yes. my if not my body, and so. Um, so I had, I had that level of, of soul care of being, of being around, um, listening to black women who had had similar experiences, but also having black women, um, just around me that just, that just were able to surround me in love and stuff. And so then, you know, talking again, um, from the church perspective. So all of this happened, um, not very long before the pandemic hit. And so I had found, um, my, my family and I, I had, we had started worshiping, um, at an Episcopal church in our neighborhood. Um, because we, we had known the, the, my plan had been, our plan had been after I graduated seminary that we, um, would move to Chicago and, um, you know, and seeking out like, where could I be ordained in ministry or whatever, um, you know, long story short, the Episcopal church, um, seemed like a viable option, a viable option for, for me. And there are a lot of black Episcopal churches, um, in Chicago. And so, um, that was something that I knew was, was potentially coming. And so I was like, well, I might as well just go ahead and become part of an Episcopal congregation. And so that's what I did. And so being, being there was a predominantly white church. I mean, I was like the only the black people that was there, like my kids and I, we were like the only ones, um, mm-hmm. there, but it was still, but it was still, um, there's, there was a lot of, of good, um, that was there, that was there for us. Um, but then the pandemic hit and stuff. So then that kind of stuff, you know, just being able to be quiet and at home and, um, in the midst of the pandemic. And then, um, we started, we found a church, um, a black Episcopal church here in, in Chicago that we were able to start worshiping with online. And then we were eventually able to worship in person with them. And then, um, our, our health status has changed and stuff again. So we, so, um, we were back online, but being able to find, um, the community of black believers, um, black worshipers, um, I'm part of somehow I you know, showed up at this church and it was there for like two minutes. And now like, I'm like this, one of the secretaries for um, <laughs> right, the, the right. women's organization. No, that sounds like, like you. That sounds like, right. You. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I wasn't, I listen, I wasn't trying to like, they, like, they were just like, okay, here, you're new here. Let's put you to work. And, like, I'm like, okay, awesome. I was just going to kind of, kind of chill. Cause I was not really trying to do that, but that was what happened. And so being there, and then finally, I mean, really, so being in church, you know, was, that's been something that's been a place where I've been able to be myself, but honestly, it's been, it's been this organization. It's been, it's been the witness. It's been, it's been Tyler and Jamar. It's been, um, you know, our team. It's been uh, the past the mic group. It's been some of the different um, friendships and relationships that I have built Um out of out of that community and out of this that have that have been able to nurture me and help me to feel like I can be myself and to also help me realize that I'm that I'm not that I'm that you know I'm not making this stuff up 
that my experiences are are real and that they're mm-hmm. and that they're valid. I mean, and the fact that you'd sit here for I mean, we've been sitting here probably for you know, three hours now. Um, you, obviously, you're not getting a three hour long podcast, um, but that would be hope. I hope y'all don't do that um, to the people. Like, like, girl, you need a hush. You never know, nah. You never know what we gonna do. You never know what I don't know what y'all gonna do with this. But anyway, but I mean, just but just sitting here. Um, telling being able to tell this this story and to be able to put it together um like that like that in this in this space and i mean not everybody you know, gets to be on past the mic and you know tell the whole their their story in the way that i did um but just being able to do that i i hope that somewhere in my story that there are things that y'all can connect with and that there are things that liberate you and that and that free you in in telling your story yeah i that is an honor on a a a number of different levels you know we our colleagues obviously we work together but the one of the greatest joys of the pandemic in the past really the past year and a half um has been our friendship you know for me it's been our friendship and we've been able to go through a lot argue a lot (laughs) (laughs) that's all we do is roast each other i mean it's just like oh my goodness it's always that's always just a huge part of our friendship but um also just seeing your passion and your love and your care for for people and how much you care and how much you are devoted to you know justice and equity for people that we would forget about um and for us as well and so just how you name things how you see things you know it's my honor to call you a friend and so I've been encouraged and liberated by your story. So I know other people will be as well. And that's why this is so important. And that's why, you know, there are times we have to leave loud. So thank you for being courageous and brave enough to tell that story because it's going to free some people. I hope it does. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.